Hello, and welcome to episode 103 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. We all know how it feels when it seems like everyone is missing out on a movie that is just not getting its due. Whether critics are unfair to it, audiences ignore it, or the Oscars snub it, we're left wondering why more people don't love this or that movie. So for this episode, we're taking the opportunity to air some grievances and right some wrongs. We've each picked one movie we think is underappreciated and finally give them the credit they're due. We know that at the end of the last episode, we said we'd each pick three, but we changed our minds and we're focusing on one movie each and plan on returning to the idea of underappreciated movies again in the future. While we didn't set out to establish a theme, both of our picks involve underrecognized performances by two powerhouse actors who, it could be argued, have never been better than in these two movies. Though they weren't entirely snubbed during awards season, the conversation around our first two underappreciated movies is not as rapturous as we would like. So will history be corrected? Can we finally give these movies the adulation they deserve? Keep listening. Hello, can we still be friends? It is Andrew. And instead of coming up with a full five-movie list of underrated films that I think y'all should pay attention to, what I'm going to do is just suggest a trio. Uh, This is the Irish Folklore Trilogy by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. The first of this series is The Secret of Kells, the second, Song of the Sea, and the last, Wolf Walkers. These three cartoons, each amazing as standalone films, Uh, But they are on this list for me because this hits at an imagination and a wildness that is not approached uh, in American films. The way they hit at a spirituality, the fact that there is a spiritual sense that is outside of our natural world, um, and, and they deal with it in such a way that it's both fearful and awesome. And then in each of the movies, all the characters have to come to grips with things they just can't understand. And uh, forces the characters in the film to wrestle with uh, that wildness, that spirituality, that that substance that actually makes things go that they can't explain or see. And yet, it draws you in. You love the characters. Uh, first two movies... Uh, Brendan Gleeson does a fantastic job uh, in his roles, in his vocal spots. And then in Wolf Walkers, Sean Bean as the dad uh, does an incredible job. Now, I don't want to spend too much time talking about each of the individual uh, voice actors that bring just gold to these films, uh, but I want to recommend it to you all. If you have not watched these films, prioritize the viewing of The Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, and Wolf Walkers. This Irish folklore trilogy, uh, it's gold. So give it your time. Thank you very much, Nate, Ryan. Have a good show. Well, thanks to AJ for that uh, clip that yeah. he sent in. Uh, that's our friend Andrew, who um, calls in a lot, and we, we love uh, hearing his thoughts on uh, either the movies we've watched or in this one, movies that he thinks are underappreciated. And we 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 are impressed that he did three, even though we backed, we, we backed off on doing three. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> he did he did the homework so better than it. we did. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of like this idea of like you know because AJ calls in so much or Andrew um you know it, it's it's almost like he's he's sort of like a supervisor for us yeah. like he kind of calls yeah. in for every show <laughs> right. and and I kind of li- I kind of love just having uh his opinion yeah. thrown in there as almost like a it's not quite a guest it's not quite a third host it's like somewhere in between yeah. you know yeah. But I do appreciate it. And, you know, I actually have not seen any of those movies. None of them? No. And the thing is... I haven't is, seen the new one. I, I was actually texting with AJ this week, and I I was like, I can't believe I... The thing is, The Secret of Kells has been on my to-watch list, like yeah. pretty high up on it for mm-hmm. so many years. I Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen that one a couple of times. I've only seen Song of the Sea once, and I, I want to watch it again. I kind of... I, maybe I'll... I'm, watch all three of them i told him i'm going to um that's gonna be they've they've bumped higher up on the list um because you know i feel like animation is one of those areas that um i I just love a really good animated film Mm -hmm. and i i specifically love when you can get a really good animated film that's like outside of yeah the the sort of the known names Mm -hmm. the pixars the disney's the dreamworks you know Mm -hmm. and i know that uh we're both fans of the podcast film spotting and Josh, uh, Josh Larson, one of the hosts there, has always been a huge fan of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another reason why they've always been high on my list. And thank you, AJ. No, they're, I even will, they're even higher. So, right. in fact, I think we should just – maybe we should, should we cancel tonight? Yeah. And I'll Let's go just watch, watch those. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll, see, right. you, well see you later. We'll see you in a bit. And we're back. And Nate still hasn't seen it. I still haven't. It, we can't, it we didn't can't, work we out. Can't, it didn't work out. We can't play that joke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, we really appreciate that. And we still want to hear anybody else's underappreciated yeah, sure. movies. Like we said in the intro, we've gone a little bit of a different direction. We thought about it more. We were pressed for time and watching six movies felt really difficult. Especially this time of year. I know um, this is when you're, uh, you know, getting to the, near the right, end of the school yeah. year for you. And yeah. It's just a busy time. Also, yeah. I think... If these are underappreciated movies, we should give them more give time, them some time than yeah. just like, you know, one-sixth of an episode. One thing that's nice about doing a podcast versus, you know, maybe even maybe even like writing something out is we can kind of get away from just the list idea right. a little bit and get deeper and, yeah. and take some movies and, and you can still take a theme or mm-hmm. take these ideas, but we can we, we have the luxury of being able to go really deep on them and, and actually have a conversation about them. Exactly. I feel like sometimes when you're just doing a list, the conversation element kind of goes out the window because you're just, you're getting through the bullet points. Yeah. You know? And we're going to make a case for these movies, maybe, rather than just list them. We're going to make a case. And the other thing we want to tell anyone listening is that if you have not seen these movies, we're going to say what they are before we talk about them. Um, We are going to definitely be getting into spoiler territory because Mm -hmm. we want to go deep, because Mm -hmm. we want to kind of look at certain scenes and figure out, you know, what exactly it is we love about these underappreciated movies. So uh, just be aware uh, that once we start talking about one of our choices, we're not holding back. No, sorry. So Nate, you want to start us off because truth be told, this Th- this the, came from a, Nate's pick yes. is sort of why we thought of doing underappreciated movies. So, so why don't you start us off and what what made you pick it? We'll do first viewings and all that. Yeah, and and in fact, I'm going to go with um, something extremely current, very, like something very that recent. just came out last year. And I know anyone who knows me in person is getting sick of me talking about this movie <laughs> and also thinks I'm getting a little obsessive about this movie. And I, I, I really am kind you of, kind of are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a little obsessive about this movie, but the other side of this is that no one else seemed to <laughs> so, right? like this was a movie that 
I think had a lot of buzz around it, especially around the casting in it. Yeah. Um, and then it just sort of came and went. There was a little bit of of discussion in the award season, mostly mm-hmm. for uh, actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it. Other than that, really not much of anything. Yeah. And the, the critical response was a little tepid, mm-hmm. uh, with a few exceptions, which I will get into. Okay. Um, but yeah, so my pick that I'm kicking off this episode with is last year's movie, Spencer. Is she here yet? Not yet, ma'am, no. Then she's late. She is late. So let me let me talk a little bit about sort of how I came into this movie, mm-hmm. my first time watching it. And the one thing I kind of want to say is this was not a movie that had Nate written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just start off with that. Like yeah. so, you know, for me, this was a movie that was in that bunch of movies that you've just got to get through if you want to sort of see the movies of the year. Right. And Kristen Stewart was really the reason that this movie was getting really any awards buzz. Yeah. Uh, That and the other sort of appeal factor to me was when I found out that Johnny Greenwood did the score, Johnny Greenwood being the guitar player from Radiohead and who has done a lot of amazing scores. There will be Blood, a lot of P.T. Anderson movies. Uh, he was nominated for Academy Award for Power of the Dog mm-hmm. the same year. So heck of a year for Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. Um, and both those scores are absolutely incredible, by the way. Yeah. But um, I am not the kind of person that really loves following the royal family. I actually don't really know a whole lot about the royal family at all. Mm-hmm. My only knowledge of even Princess Diana was basically like I remember being a kid and the special news report when she died uh, tragically in that right. car crash. Right. Um, beyond that, I mean, I, I just never had much interest in the royal family. So you don't watch The Crown? I don't watch The Crown. I've only watched stuff I've kind of been forced to watch. Like, I felt like I needed to watch The Queen when that came right. out because that was, you know. Well, we watched The King's Speech. And we watched that The King's Speech. Ago. And Watson had to sell it to us. Yeah, he did. <laughs> you know, like that and was. He a, did. And he, and he really did. Go back through our archives. That was one of our, I think, one of our best episodes. Yeah, but, it was um, great. So yeah, I just just going into this, I was like, I'm, I just got to get through this. Yeah, and it came on Hulu, and so I was like, good, I don't have to go through much effort. I'm a Hulu subscriber. <laughs> I'll watch this movie. Uh, and so me and my wife Andrea decided to try watching it on a Friday night, and even starting it, we got about 15, 20 minutes into it, and Andrea said, I'm just not feeling this. I'm going to bed, mm-hmm. and I'm like. I'm not really that much either, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And then if you've seen the movie, it's kind of one big build. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I got about, and I think it is about maybe 20 minutes into it, maybe 25, 30 minutes into it. When you start getting into like the scenes, uh, one of which I'd love to talk a little bit more in depth about, but like the, the um, pearls in the pea soup scene, um, yes, yeah. And that's, that, that's the turning point. That's where movie. I started saying, okay, this movie's doing something different. <clears throat> this is not The Crown. Right. This is not um, any of the dozens of Princess Diana biopics we've been yeah. that have been shoved down our throats um, that are basically just a retelling of the story and playing up the, the celebrity and the drama and the intrigue and the royalty and all that stuff. This is, this is something else. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and right from the get-go, I was impressed with Kristen Stewart's performance. That's yeah. from the get-go. Yeah. 
But as it went on, I was like, I'm not the best judge of what's good and bad acting, <laughs> usually. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm actually probably guilty of a lot of times when people talk about people conflate big acting with good acting. And I'm sure. probably someone who is sort of guilty of that and being like, well, that was a great performance. And I'm like, oh, that was just a just really, really enthusiastic yeah. performance. Yeah. But and this one this is one, not. Like, I was like, I just know there's something special going on here. Yeah. There is something like I have never, I, this is like, you know, people talk about things like, people talk about like Brando performances when they start talking about stuff like this. Yeah. But I don't even know if it's that. I mean, it felt like she was channeling something very real. Um, right. Something spiritual almost was going on. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about her work into the performance. I mean, what was happening to me watching mm. it where I was like, I'm having, I feel like I'm having a connection with Princess Diana. Mm -hmm. Like that is odd. I've watched so many biopics and I have never had this kind of connection to the subject of that biopic and not even needing to know anything about that subject. Like I said, I didn't know that much about Princess Diana. I still don't know that much about Princess Diana. You don't need to, but I do have the images in my mind of her on TV mm -hmm. and she never quite looked that happy on TV. Right. And so that's sort of the impressionistic feel I had of Princess Diana, whether that's true or not and right. whether that's fair or not. Right. And I feel like Pablo Lorraine, dire uh, the director, and then Stephen Knight, the, the screenwriter, one of the things I kind of want to get into is like they are bringing all that into this movie without actually portraying it. Like they are actually kind of assuming everyone has their sort of understanding of Diana and everyone has a feeling or a sense of Princess Diana because she's just that large of a person in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And that all kind of gets brought into the, into this movie, but just as sort of context, not as anything really deeper than that, right. um, but something that they almost use to kind of play off of something that actually hits you on a much more personal level, I think. Sure. I, I definitely want to get into it. I am going to just go out and say, and I'm, I, I, I know it sounds hyperbolic, and I, I'm not just trying to be sort of like, uh, I don't know what the right word is, super unique in this take or anything, and I'm not, I'm not the only one with the take, but I really do think this is a masterpiece of a movie, and I would love to go into more reasons why, but before that, I do want to just kind of get your feeling mm -hmm. um, you know, when you watch the movie and and then, you know, obviously you had to watch it again for the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, I, my first doings in this viewing were just a couple months apart, probably. Um, I only watched it because you wouldn't stop talking about it. And <laughs> right. the, basically what you said, you didn't you didn't have all those thoughts fully articulated, but you you just couldn't believe that it was passing by so unremarked upon. And um I had seen Jackie, um, right, and I had Pablo to Lorraine's movie yep. before this, and I when I saw, oh, he's doing a movie about Diana. Mm -hmm. I didn't even mention that that was what I was bringing into it too. I kind of was, was like, like, well, yeah. I saw Jackie. Yeah. I liked Jackie. I really did. I thought it was great. Um, I didn't I even like, think it was that great. I'm not even. Oh, really? I need to go back to it. I feel yeah, like, I, I feel I like now I kind of I kind of get too. Pablo Lorraine's thing, yeah. and I need to go back to it now. But I felt like I had gotten his gotten Pablo Lorraine's thing and so I was like oh, I don't think I need to see that about Diana and I also I I it's probably just Twilight because I really and I haven't seen Twilight <laughs> I, have, I, I haven't seen all that many Kristen Stewart movies uh certain women she was really good in um but I was like oh Kelly Riker it's a good director like, right right what does Kristen Stewart have to do with that well yeah and the, it, the narrative almost up till now has always been that Kristen Stewart whatever she was good at was like because of someone else or because of something else. Or, well, that, you know, that happens a lot with, yeah. uh, especially people who 
I think start young in blockbusters and then pair up with good directors. Good directors. Yeah. It's not like, well, why did that good director pick them? Like, what did they see in them? (laughs) You know, but um, I do not get excited to see a Kristen Stewart movie. And that's on me. Just that's just judgment. Well, I I probably I will now. The thing that people always knock about Kristen Stewart is that she can sometimes feel a little one note because it just seems like she's being Kristen Stewart. And we should get into that even with this. But anyways, I want you to go ahead and finish what you were saying. Then I watched it and I thought it was really good. It didn't change my life like it seemed to change yours. But I was, you said something when you were talking about it that really made me intrigued. But I also think it kind of colored my first viewing of it in that you said that it was, it was more of like a psychological thriller. And so I was watching it really like with that in mind. Mm. And that's not, it's a really interesting way to describe the movie because I don't think it's wrong, but it definitely isn't like any, it's not a psychological thriller. No, and it's not. And I, and I would probably take that back. Even you didn't on third, seem comfortable yeah. saying it when you said it, but I was watching it kind of with that lens and sort of waiting for shoes to drop. Then the pearl eating scene was like, oh, here it goes. And it's, it, it colored the way I was seeing those scenes. So I liked it, but then I was still sort of like, I'm not sure what this movie is necessarily. Right. And then rewatching it, I was able to focus on a lot of other aspects of it. And one that I really, really focused on was Kristen Stewart's performance. And we're, obviously we'll talk more about it, but it was, it's just, it really is. If she can do better than this, I, I will be astounded. Yeah. Because I don't know if anybody could do better than, than she did in this movie. Um, it's one of those things where like, I, I know that she doesn't look exactly like princess Diana, but she will replace in my mind, the mm-hmm. image when I think of princess I, I, Diana, yes. I'm going to think of Kristen Stewart's version of her. Yeah. Um, which from the little I do know, which is apparently a little bit more than you, there's a lot about Diana that was not good in like the way she treated people and everything. Yeah, but, yeah. um, but there is even glimpses of that in Spencer, right? I mean, we should just, we should definitely get into yeah, it. Um, let's do that. One of the things I know I've said to a lot of people is, and this is the most boring way <laughs> that you could try to get someone to like love a movie. Here we go. Is just to go, ca- to me, you could go category by category in this movie about how you analyze a movie. And it's practically perfect in my opinion. Mm. The script is great. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's, it's a really tight script and the dialogue is layers upon layers upon layers i mean before we even get into performances the dialogue in this is one in which nothing that's actually being said is what anybody means and everything that's being said is actually about something else yeah everything Mm -hmm. and i was watching a couple of like the making of featurettes and a couple different critical like sort of people who appreciated it on youtube doing videos on it and a lot of them talk about the script as just being poetry uh, like a narrative poem. The, the writer, uh, Stephen Knight, uh, he called it an upside-down fairy tale, um, one that actually makes a fable out of tragedy. Mm. Um, and that's exactly kind of what mm-hmm. this is. I mean, this is definitely not really all that concerned with historical accuracy. Right. So you could talk about the script. You could, all, you could talk about 
all the ways that Pablo Lorraine brings that to life visually because there's a lot of cues that have to happen because this is such a surreal movie eventually. But there has to be enough visual cue for you to understand that, okay, I don't have to believe that this is something that actually happened. This is all from the subjective point of view of Diana. So you can talk about all of these decisions that Pablo Lorraine's making. You can talk about the score where I think Johnny Greenwood is creating a score that is like one of, I mean, it, to me, like he got a lot of attention for Power of the Dog. I think this one's better. And I also think that it's doing things in a movie that this is taking score writing even to almost another level. Like we're, Johnny Greenwood's doing a lot of the work to tell you how to feel, how to interpret yeah. this movie. It's, yeah, um, it's as beautiful as it is scary. Yes, it's both. And that's the character. And then the editing is great. There's some scenes where you can talk about the way that, uh, you know, the, the things just cut between each other. And that is kind of where I was getting at the psychological horror. Right. And one of the things I think of really about this movie is that it's not that it's psychological horror. It's, it's that Pablo Lorraine's not afraid to take from that genre. Right. And he's taking from a lot of genres because there are some scenes that really do feel like just historical sort of period piece stuff because mm-hmm. he's trying to convey the sort of like burden of that tradition. Right. And he needs to just show it as very fancy and yeah. very strict. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, I don't know. I feel like if, if you get me talking, I'm going to go on and on and on. But yeah. we should have a conversation here. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll start with something that we can kind of talk about. You talked um one of the things you said earlier was that the movie is just one long build. Yeah. And that's that's extremely astute observation to make because um it really is in a way that you you never see coming, which is yeah. interesting that a movie can do one thing the whole time and it isn't until the last 15 minutes that you see what it had been doing right. the whole time. Um, especially for a movie in ostensibly in a genre that we've all seen before. And to start it oriented enough in that genre to make you believe that it is that. And then over time without ever really telling you when <laughs> build to what it actually is. I think that a major part of the success of that is that Kristen Stewart plays a powder keg so mm-hmm. brilliantly. On the second viewing, especially, I noticed that, like you were talking about, a good performance being like a big performance. This is one of the most restrained performances I've ever seen. But she has these little outbursts that speak so loudly compared to the repression that she's performing the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. And then you you kind of realize that the movie is also doing that. The movie is a powder keg. That all of that those trappings, and this might be somebody something that people who love The Crown and Downton Abbey because they just revel in that stuff. And this movie is taking all that stuff and saying that is the very flimsy, very but very tight cap. That's on her a trauma. deadly on a deadly deadly scenario yeah that's that's the repression and that really is and i've even heard her in interviews talk about this being trauma Mm -hmm. that this is princess diana's trauma and um one of the things that she talked about was and i think this is where you could you could watch this movie and you could misinterpret it and kristen stewart i I read an I, i saw an interview where she just said we are certainly not saying princess diana was crazy she said what i felt was that that's how anybody going through trauma feels. You feel like you're going crazy when yeah. you're in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not, I don't think that I would go so far as to say that Pablo Lorraine or the movie or, you know, Stephen Knight disrespects people who love the trappings of no royalty and everything. But it is, as the movie goes on, all of those trappings, and this is actually something that's going to come up when I talk about my movie, but where Diana looks crazy, the movie is actually saying, no, Everything else is crazy. Yes, yeah. The fact that she has to wear these dresses to dinner for no one other than the people who know how messed up this whole thing is. Right. And act like it's not messed up. And they're all going to sit there and they're all going to eat and they're going to take pictures and they're going to read speeches and they're going to go to church. And they all do it knowing that everything they're doing is a lie. That's crazy. Right. How could you not go crazy saying, I'm not happy here, and everybody is acting like, how can you not be? Mm -hmm. And everybody outside is thinking that, like she's living this storybook life. And everybody inside her life is so steeped in it that they don't know how to call it what it is. And that's how she would feel even if she didn't have the added personal layer of the betrayal of her husband exactly, and how that's playing out all within this sort of three-day period. Right. right. Um, it, it's all kind of reaching a climax. Mm -hmm. And so, again, there's just these layers upon layers because there's already that feeling trapped by just the trappings mm -hmm. of the royal lifestyle. Right. And then on top of that, the extra just sort of like psychological burden of just feeling, and, and this is where I think you can really connect, is like just feeling unloved. Yeah. And feeling sad. Definitely. And feeling like not only is she in a position where she feels unloved, but she's in a position where if she doesn't do something that is like unheard of or unspoken of, basically like breaking yourself away from the royal family, she knows she will never feel loved. Right. And that's where I feel like I, I kept thinking as I was watching this, you, you immediately see, and I think, you know, Pablo Lorraine, I think his casting is even very intentional in like he's casting someone like Sally Hawkins in this yeah. for you to say, this seems like a minor part. Why is Sally Hawkins Why? doing this? Yeah, like, <laughs> because it's not like it's not like they had a similarly heavy hitter for the Queen or for Charles no, no. or for any other role. No, I mean they, you know, character actors, but like you know, no, not, Timothy Spall would Tim be one Timothy of the Spall's other heavy hitters. The, the yeah, and uh, Farthing, who plays uh, Prince Charles, uh, he's been in some stuff recently. He was in The Lost Daughter. Okay, um, he was the husband. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's a very good actor. But that idea of her realizing, like, if she is so trapped and she's never going to feel loved in any real way, the Sally Hawkins character becomes incredibly important. Uh, mm -hmm. First of all, she's kind of like in these little moments uh what feels like her only anchor because it's just someone who she feels like she has a genuine connection with in a world where she doesn't have any genuine connection except for with her kids which those are also some of the best most touching scenes yeah it's just her being a mother but then it's like you get that scene which feels like it's out of nowhere like it's kind of like just it feels like you could say it was just kind of wedged in there the scene where sally hawkins character confesses her romantic love mm -hmm. for princess diana mm -hmm. um of course, I don't think any of this is true, you right. know? but it's in there. Yeah. And I feel like what's important about that scene and Sally Hawkins, why you needed the weight of an actress of her caliber in that scene and the way you watch, I mean, if you really watch them in that scene oh, yeah. together playing off each other, it is like, a, it's a master class in it's, acting. It's aside um, from, I would say the, the like candlelit scene with her sons, the only time that she is genuinely connecting with a person. Yes. Even- 
More so than with her sons, because when she's with her sons, she's still playing. A she's still role. playing the role. She's she's not really saying what. That's she what means. I'm saying. She's, yeah, they're, she's, they're, she's talking to through the lens of the game. Yep, the game. Of yeah. she's the general, and they're the soldiers. Yep. And there's a lot of things about games in this, which we can get into in a second. But Sally Hawkins' character, like this, is where they're just having a genuine conversation, mm-hmm. and they're they're both just saying exactly what they mean. Mm-hmm. I've never told you this. It probably means you have to fire me, but. Um... Actually, I'm in love with you. Yes, I mean, I mean, I mean in, in that way. Completely. So I suppose the one word I'd use to describe you would be shocked. <coughs> Diana, the shock. <laughs> Goodness! What do you say to that? Shock does wonders, apparently. And I know, I know you don't see me in that way. It's perfectly fine. I'm grown up. I just thought I'd lighten the gloom with something totally unexpected. Now, you don't have to think they'll ever end up together. You don't have to think Princess Diana is going to, you know, also fall in love with her. It doesn't matter. That was a life preserver for Princess Diana. Just having that conversation and that moment of connection was a life preserver. But like the most forbidden of life preservers. Yes. Like not only could she not actually love another person, she couldn't love a woman. Right. And I mean, it it also doesn't seem like she was... A lesbian at all, so like no, right, right. wouldn't have re- reciprocated the feelings uh, exactly. But again, just like the only time that someone professes, professes love for her is a absolutely impossible way for her to receive the love. Right. I did want to talk a little bit about this idea of games mm-hmm. because you talked about the scene where she's with uh, her kids and they play a game where they kind of play like they're in the army, mm-hmm. you know, and they're and they're talking about their perfect Christmas mm-hmm. and. And that scene is very tender, and it's yeah. a very. It's and a it was also she, a largely improvised scene for a script that was so tight that was mostly oh, just okay. improv between Kristen Stewart yeah. and the boys. Yeah, but the other really fascinating scene to me that has to do with this idea of playing games is the scene with her and Prince Charles, and yeah. they're actually facing each other yeah. at a, a snooker, snooker table. table, and he's telling her. Basically, he's, I mean, in a nutshell, he's basically saying, why can't you just play the game? What they're talking about, and it's the same sort of thing where you said they're talking about something that they're not talking about. Yes. She's, she's saying, William is too young to go hunting. Right, he's they're talking about the hunting. Yeah. And he said, I hated it too, but there has to be, you know, like he said, there has to be two of you. The thing is, Diana, there has to be two of you. You know, there's, there's two of me, there's two of father, two of everyone. It's the real one and the one they take pictures of. Now, we are given tasks. Now, I, I hated to shoot first. I gave my gun to the other one, but, uh, but you, you know, you have to be able to make your body do things you hate. That you hate? That you hate. That you hate. Yes. There's a really striking thing that happens in when he throws the ball to her. Mm-hmm. 
She just kind of drops it mm-hmm. off the table. It's this metaphor of saying, I, it's not I won't play the game anymore. It's I can't play this game anymore. Right. She's realizing she can't go on this way. And then from there on, it becomes really this survivalist story of how is she going to get to the place mentally where she can actually get the strength to figure out what to do next out of that. What's interesting is for such an understated performance, it's so physical. Yeah. She carries the tension in her body and how often she doesn't look directly at people. Like she looks down in mm-hmm. a way. She'll look at them for a little bit and then like look down in a way. Like you said with the the snooker ball, she just can't. Like she can't keep it up for more than a few seconds. Um, switching gears a little bit to the filmmaking, I think one reason you would have called it a psychological a psychological horror and a reason that that's fitting is that the movie feels at times very, very much like The Shining. Some of the shots, especially of the palace, are very close to the ways that like, the Overlook Hotel is, is shot. Um, it kind of goes a little bit more full-on shining when she goes to her house and like the hallucinations and looking, yeah. and, looking in places and seeing something that like may or may not be real yes. and all of that. But kind of like The Shining where it wasn't Jack Torrance who was crazy, it was the house who made him crazy. That's, that's the way that's, that's that's what they're saying about Diane, Diana. It's not, she was not crazy, but she was in this place that was lying to her. That was like gaslighting her. That was abusing her. And it made her crazy. And she, you know, stronger than Jack Torrance doesn't turn on her children. She, she keeps it together. She turns it all inward, which is part of the tragedy of it. But like, it's so clear. And again, if you love the crown, if you love those sorts of things, you will not like somebody saying all that stuff kills people. Right. Killed many, well, killed two, at least two that the yeah. movie's talking about, Anne Boleyn and, and Diana. Well, I think that you're right about it having that sort of shining feel. And beyond that, I also think you could see it as kind of a ghost story. Sure. And I, I was reading, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes, and the, the guy's name is The Fake Critic on YouTube, but he does really good analysis huh. of these movies. And he does a really great analysis of, of, of Spencer. And he, the way he put it was he said, it's a ghost story that borders on surreal mm-hmm. in which the protagonist haunts the film in ways that she is haunted by a ghost she can't shake, being mm-hmm. Anne Boleyn. But then beyond Anne Boleyn being more, you know, more or less a, an actual ghost, Timothy Spall's character doesn't seem fully human. True. He's, yeah. He really reminds me, not like, you know, not like they were, the, the, it lines up, like they meant to line it up so much with The Shining, but he really reminds me of Lloyd, the bartender mm-hmm. yeah. in The Shining, who's pushing Jack Torrance towards more madness. Timothy Spall's character almost seems at every turn to keep pushing Diana oh, yeah. further. Well, to the point where you, you, you know, it's, like he it, wants her, he wants, like, he like wants they brought her in to do that. He thinks it would be better if she just left. I feel like, you know, I mean, I think you can interpret that character a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he's just doing his job. Maybe he is kind of being a Machiavellian sort of like orchestrating something here. It's debatable if he actually just planted the book. She certainly thinks he did. Yeah. Um, but you know, going back to this idea of that psychological horror in that soup with the pearls scene, yep. that scene itself is almost a microcosm of the movie itself. Because um, I watched, there's a whole anatomy of a scene you can watch um, of it where it actually starts very much like you would expect a period drama to start. It's got Baroque music by Johnny Greenwood, right. played by a quartet in the in the Yeah. All of a sudden this is the <laughs> this is the dinner music. And it's it's very traditional. It is not ominous right. at all at first. 
And Pablo Lorraine gave Johnny Greenwood direction to, I want it to sound very traditional, um, very regal at first. And then I just want you to sort of ramp up the tension as it moves on. It's definitely got this exponential climb to it yeah. where it's, it takes a while to get there. The, the, I looked it up. The song's, about, even realize it. the song's about four minutes long. It doesn't really start getting ominous till about th- more, more like at the three minute mark. I think that adds a layer of insanity to it and horror to it that like, no, there are people in the room playing this. This isn't just a score. It's this is she's hearing. Everybody's hearing, but everybody in the room is. Yes. Yeah. And she's the one going crazy, quote unquote. Yeah. But why isn't everybody else the crazy ones for just sitting there like this music isn't terrifying and we're just sitting down to normal dinner all together, a holiday meal. And like, yeah, I can I definitely see that. It's, a, it's cool. And I, I know we got a whole other movie to talk about. So I'm going to try to cut this off short sure. soon. But I do, I, I, I have to talk about one other element of the score. And that is the jazz. That's yes. It. Yeah. Um, because I think that fusion of that Baroque style with the jazz works amazingly. But what it's doing in the movie, mm-hmm. I mean, jazz is all about trying to be free yep. and freeform. Exactly. And it's this jazz that is butting up against this Baroque music in a very sort of dark way. Yeah. And I remember, I still remember the first time I watched this movie when she is going down that hallway and Anne Boleyn starts cutting in with the editing. It is just like, I mean, it's just like, that's cinema to me right there. That is yep. just such a great, effective scene. It gave me chills the first time I saw it, and it, it still does. Yeah. You know? Tell them I'm not well. Tell them I'm not at all well! Tell them I'm not well. And it's it's obviously thematically appropriate to that he doesn't try to make the Baroque and the jazz work together. No. Well, and the other thing is that uh, when you do get that montage later, where you're kind of seeing all these moments of Diana being free, mm-hmm. it's interesting that Greenwood decides that's not going to be jazz. Yeah. That's going to be just a beautiful classical piece. Right. That's kind of saying it could have always been this way. Yeah, yeah, it didn't yeah. have to be this way. Right. You could have had classical music that was joyous and freeing, and and yeah. I know, you know, of course, classical music is that. But I'm just saying, within the within the context yeah, of yeah, this yeah. movie, it's saying so much. And then, um, why don't we just why don't we just end it by talking a little bit about the ending of yes. the movie because yeah. it's jolting, yep. but it's so perfect yep. because the movie ends with her actually, you know, deciding fleeing fleeing with, with her, her kids. Great climactic scene after, at the hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, after she, walking into the hunt in yeah. the line of fire, yeah. Then they hop in a car, and all of a sudden you get super poppy, just out of nowhere. I mean, it's very, it's very out of place. Yeah, it's intentionally so out of place. Um, all I need is a miracle. Straight up pop song. Mm-hmm. Them just driving down an open road, singing that song. But it makes so much sense because even during the conversation with her boys, she says. Um, there's only one tense here. They talk about past, present, and future tense. And she says the future doesn't exist and the past and present are the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the whole movie, you've been feeling that. She feels like she has no future. Mm -hmm. And 
she feels like she's in a place that really doesn't have a present and the past is just always there and always will be there and it's never going to change. Nothing's going to change. It's always going to feel like you're living in the past. And so to end the movie by saying, we're going to go directly to the present, which in the setting of the movie is the 90s. It is everything that yep. is completely present about her, what she's wearing, mm-hmm. the song that's playing. They're going to go get, get KFC. Yeah. You know, it's it's just living in the present. And for us, we're not past. in that moment anymore. It's the, it's the past to us. Uh-huh. You know, it wraps up the movie with this weird new remixing of all those tenses, the past, the present, and the future. And, and the sadness of knowing where the future goes. Right, you know? definitely. But also the sadness of the past because they eat... KFC with the camera looking at the Tower of London. Yeah. Or a Tower Bridge where Anne Boleyn was executed. And yeah. so the past and the it's present there. are meeting again. Yes. And but at least she's living in the present. Right. That that's that's I think the thing is that she has in some way she's broken free. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of uncertainty about that. But she's done it in a way that also I love the fact that she did it in a way that didn't abandon everything. Like she doesn't. She brings her kids along with her, right. and she's protective of them, and is trying her best to make sure that they don't go what, through what she went through, right. and that they go through life with a sense of living in the present, um, right. and and breaking down some of those more archaic traditions as well. Well, I think it would be interesting for you to go back and watch Jackie because I, I would hope that you wouldn't compare it to Spencer because I, obviously you think Spencer is like a perfect movie, and Jackie probably may, may not be. But it's sort of telling the reverse story. It's sort of like taking the tragedy and how a fairy tale was crafted from mm. that. And Spencer starting with the fairy tale and dissolving it down to the tragedy. Mm. Yeah, um, that's interesting. To an yeah. They're almost like inverses of each other. Right. Wow. Yeah. I need to go back because I do feel like this yeah, is. Yeah, I think you would probably appreciate it. You know, because Pablo Lorraine is someone who I think plays around a lot in subtexts. Yeah. So like yeah. what you're seeing is just sort of the very surface and that you can dig a lot deeper if you want yeah. to. And I think he's always casting someone who understands that. Yeah. Um, whether it's Natalie Portman or Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you were your claim of Spencer being underappreciated has led you to examine a movie that maybe you underappreciated. <laughs> that does, that's that's Jackie. The, that's the circle of life Magic. when it comes to, yeah. to under underappreciated movies. All right. Yeah. So um yeah, it's I so my turn. I, yeah, let's let's move on to your movie, Ryan. Um, that's I, that's Spencer. I really hope people check it yeah, out yeah. if you haven't already. And uh, it's definitely better than the lack of attention would show. So my my movie, and again, it's strange how we didn't plan this. We didn't uh, that there there are overlaps. But my movie is another British movie, uh, female lead. In fact, Sally Hawkins. <laughs> From, this is the Sally Hawkins show. Yeah, which hey, I'm why not? Fine why with not? Um, but this was where the first movie I saw her in, and I think it was one of her first leading roles in a relatively wide release. Um, and it's a famous director, although not a not a household name director. Sure. Yeah, but a well respected director, Mike Lee. This is the 2008 movie Happy Go Lucky. Birds that live here, they fly all the way. Wow, across the world. Isn't that incredible? Flap your arms, flap your wings. Meet Poppy. <laughs> Have you ever had a driving lesson before? Yeah. No, wasn't really a lesson. She's cheerful. Hello. Positive. Cheers. Carefree. How's your love life? How is my love life? You okay with that? Oh, yeah. But not everyone in her life... What is the passions? What is the blood? This is a flamenco. 
is as happy-go-lucky. So, when you first heard me play the trailer, you were like, whoa, that's like... <laughs> that's like old-school trailer. Old-school trailer, yeah. Like an actual narrator. And, right. Which I... I mean, this is what, 2008? Yeah. I feel like they were already kind of moving past that yeah. by then, right? I feel like, and and like, it's really like cheery, like the visuals, the interstitial titles are are like uh, cherries and like really bright colors and stuff. And even some of the clips they chose are cl- scenes that are wildly out of context. And like, you'd think like that this was some sort of zany madcap sort of movie I don't know how you would market this movie, right? But they mismarketed this well, movie. Well, and maybe that's part of the underappreciation. I think maybe. so, and that yeah. might be if we keep doing underappreciated movies. That might be part of the story. Looking at the trailers, and yeah, seeing what they how, did, you know, how were they how, marketed? How they yeah. they really misrepresented this movie. That trailer almost felt like I was waiting for them to just cut into like walking on sunshine. Exactly. You know, like hey, exactly. Da, 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 I da, bet da, there's da, a version that was like, oh, so we got this song, <laughs> yeah. Um, so if, if you haven't seen Happy Go Lucky, and I assume I you have haven't, I have Nate not had seen not seen it. No. it. Happy Go Lucky is like a lot of Mike Lee movies, not focused on plot. It's focused on a character mm-hmm. or a couple characters and how they develop. And so for Happy Go Lucky, the, the main character is Poppy played by Sally Hawkins. She is Everything the movie, the trailer said, she is happy and she is funny and she's poppy. Yeah. Yeah. She is energetic. Energetic. She is optimistic. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of her going about her life. I guess the main catalyst for any sort of plot is that she starts taking driving lessons. Her because dr- her bike was stolen. Because her bike was stolen, right, in the very first scene, which she responds to. With him. Yeah. It's like, so oh, that sucks. Positively, yeah. <laughs> that's like, not actually I, what she says, but that's. Well, she says, I didn't even get to say goodbye. <laughs> and her driving instructor, played by Eddie Marsan, Marsan, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not Marsden. He's not related to James. But uh, Eddie Marsan, who. If you've seen him in something, maybe The World's End is something that you would recognize him from. But he, as the driving instructor, is an incredibly angry, you know, now we would call him an incel. Um, I don't know if that phrase I don't think that was around existed then, in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. He it's is incredibly nationalistic. Yeah. He is self-loathing. He's everybody loathing. And their worldviews collide. And... Not in a way that you would expect to see from a movie, but maybe a, a way you would expect to see from real life. What's also important is that he is not the main thing in her life. That relationship with him always main, remains a section of her life, mm-hmm. a part of her week. And we see her going to flamenco classes. We see her teaching elementary school. We see her going on dates. We see her. We just follow Poppy. Yeah, that's the whole movie. That's the movie. She meets people who jive with her worldview. She meets people who conflict with it. Some people are very close to her. Some people are fleeting uh, experiences with her. So just kind of the uh, short pitch is this is a funny, energetic, sad, powerful movie. Yeah. I saw it in the tr- in theaters. Kelsey and I saw it together. Uh, so we would have been dating. and. We both just loved it. I saw it because I read good reviews. You know, I think I had seen some Mike Lee stuff, um, but I still haven't seen a ton. So he did like uh, Vera Drake. 
Vera Drake. Year. Yeah. Vera Drake was a movie just before this. Another year was later. Um, Naked was one of his breakout movies. Yeah. Secrets and Secrets, Lies. Secrets and Lies. I hadn't seen, this is my first Mike Lee movie. Really? But the crazy thing is that I know the name. If you liked it, if you liked Happy Go Lucky, you would, you'll like it. I mean, that's Mike the Lee thing movie. is like, I feel like he's a name I knew and mm-hmm. I feel like I must have seen something of his. Yeah. And I, I, I went to IMDb and I'm like, oh, I, I really have not seen anything. Yeah. He doesn't make a ton of movies. Right. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't crank them out. But um, I saw it in the theater and I, I loved it. And again, nobody really saw it. It's a really hard movie to get people to want to see because it's so unique. Well, you also don't have any huge names to draw. I mean, Sally Hawkins now. Yeah, but then, but then definitely not. probably not. You know, and you don't really have any big names to draw you. Out. No, not at all at the time. And so as soon as it came out on DVD, I bought it. I've seen it a bunch of times since. It's just a movie that is so warm to me. It's just a movie that refocuses my life, truly. Yeah. I'm not like Poppy. I really would love to be like Poppy. Sure. There are parts of her that are, and, I, and the movie isn't yeah. afraid to say, this isn't necessarily responsible all the time. And it might not read the room well. Right, right. But is it that bad? <laughs> if those are its biggest crimes, right. isn't that okay? <laughs> Right. I don't know what I have it on IMDb or on Letterboxd, but it's after rewatching, it's a five star movie sure. for me. Yeah, I could see. Um, I mean, I could see that. So, yeah, I mean, that's just sort of my initial gushing. Sometimes when I watch a movie I really like, I'm nervous for you to watch it. This one, I was excited. I was like, yeah. I really am excited for Nate to see this right. movie. And that's how I feel about it. I'm really excited for anybody to watch this movie. It might not be everybody's cup of tea. Some people might find its plotlessness a little boring, whatever. But like, I would, I want everybody to watch this movie. I, I think this. Well, I, I, yeah. So I had not seen this movie. I had, I don't think I would have even barely heard about it except for from you. I think it is a very likable movie because I think even if you didn't like the Poppy character, if you found her quote unquote annoying or mm-hmm. cloying or whatever, there'd be lots to explore with that. Why do you think yeah. that? But beyond that, <laughs> but. Like, I think there's enough, even in just her interaction with the other characters, that there's enough situational comedy in that, that yeah. even if you found her character annoying, um, you could find the situation funny. Yeah. You know, I can talk a little bit about just watching it now for the first time. Um, I would not have thought to watch it other than by your, your recommendation. And I also have to be honest, I think if I had watched it at the time, I probably would have liked it. But I think what I like about this podcast episode is it obviously connected in a really strong way for you. And that can be contagious Mm -hmm. because I went into this movie being like, you know, Ryan loves this movie. And so I'm going to watch it in a way that's like, I want to have that experience that you had. And I think I can because we've been doing this podcast for long enough to where like, I can kind of get into your like wavelength and be like, yeah, I mean, for me, I was like, this is such a joyful movie watching experience. Yep. But there were also things about it that I thought were really interesting, one of which is, and I can't really put my finger on it, mm-hmm. but I feel like, and, and maybe you can speak a little bit to this as well if you have the same feeling, it had kind of a television feel to me in a way where it was almost mm. like, I feel like you could make a television show out of this. Yeah. Or like television itself has kind of played along these lines. Yes. There were parts of it that had a Curb Your Enthusiasm feel, mm-hmm. even though Poppy is not like Larry David mm-hmm. at all. But it's that sense of, here's a character, let's have that character bounce around this world, and and the way that that character brushes up against the environment yeah. is, that's the show, or that's the movie, in this case, Happy Go Lucky. And I kind of just liked that. Like, it doesn't actually need much of a plot, because 
Just letting it, a character breathe. It can be episodic that way. <clears throat> now, the movie does a really smart job of connecting those episodes right. because, you know, you do, it's not just There's like you thread, see the driving yeah. instructor and then he never really comes back or come, right. you know, he comes back in oh, really, he, and comes back. he comes back in like really unexpected ways because you could think maybe this will become kind of an interesting romantic interest uh, thing, even though he's exactly. kind of despicable. Like, but like, you know, if you watched that trailer and then you started the movie, wouldn't you absolutely think that that's where it's headed? That's, that's, she's going to, she's going to, she's going to turn yeah. Scott to see life her way and he's going to become invigorated with life and fall in love right. with her. Yeah. And then, and then, and kind of like, boy, isn't that sort of positive yeah. l- lifestyle? Isn't that something that, you know, can really change the world? <laughs> Nope, not not in this world. Nope. Not not in this movie. No, can't change everybody. It's just her. People just know her as who she is. And I mean, we we should probably get a little bit more into detail about what happens with that driving instructor because yeah, oh, I think it's, because I think that's super smart. What happens? with It's it. super smart, and it's two thousand eight. Yes, yeah. so relevant. Yes, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, brilliant. I, I want to hear what you have to say. I just wanted to. I, I, before we go into that, I just kind of wanted to say, like, I felt a little bit like there was some Curb Your Enthusiasm in here, and there's also a little bit of, like, Ted Lasso in here. Yes. I, I felt mean, not like, only is Sarah Niles, so, so, the therapist, she plays a therapist. In, oh, have you gotten to season two of Ted yes. Lasso? Yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I yeah. finished the show. Okay, yeah. but she's in. We don't need to spoil that. She's but yeah. in him. Yes, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just in the sense of like, this is a character that is going to just right. radiate positivity, and it's in it's in London. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but, but like, I, I would be really interested to know if Happy Go Lucky is any sort of an influence on Ted Lasso. It, it certainly could be. And so for me, watching it now for the first time, really late to the game, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like TV has taken now, now whether they're inspired by it or not, but they've taken some cues from it. The movie itself even has these like uh, the score is almost like a television type of score. Yeah. It's like a sort of motif that's light, yep. and it kind of just interjects when it needs to. It doesn't really do anything for the movie. Right. It's, it's just not, sort of... It's not telling you what to It just sort of segues between yeah, things. Exactly. Like, when we need a segue, let's drop this motif in here. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's very television-ish, you know? But yeah, I don't know how... I don't, I don't know if that strikes you a little bit that way. I considered or, that, you know, but I definitely see it. And I, I, in a way, I find that makes me think the movie's more impressive, because where a show nowadays would take... Uh, a full season to let a character breathe. They do it in They do two it hours. in two hours. <laughs> yeah. And you get that full arc. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. I want to, before we talk about the movie, do you know much about Mike Lee's process? I watched a making of okay. featurette. So did you see the one where they're talking about their characters and stuff? I, I only saw one where Sally Hawkins talked about how she had kind of, they didn't even really have a script. They don't. But, he doesn't but, start. He doesn't start his movies with a script. But she had lived in this character for six months before there was even a script. So what they do, what Mike Lee does, is he casts it. Then he thinks of a character for each of the actors, and then works with them one on one. They never meet each other for six months or so, and it's just interviews with the character. Yeah, Mike Lee asking them questions and. By the time that's done, the actors, you know, by their description, they are so aware of who this person is that they could do anything. They like Sally Hawkins lived like Poppy out in the streets just to see what would what would hmm. Poppy do. They have no idea what their character is in the movie. That's fascinating. And so yeah. Eddie Marsan was working on this angry, racist, violent. Probably, probably you know, wounded wounded yes character, character. Yeah. and all of that's explored in their interviews whether it comes out in the movie or not is not necessarily important but it's in the character and so eddie marsan saying he thought he was going to be starring in like a taxi driver type movie 
because he oh, kind of yeah. thought he was maybe like the main character, this driving instructor who's like just this angry, misogynistic, misanthropic, like hate-filled, wounded character. And then the first thing he did on the movie, not with Mike Lee, was Sally Hawkins gets in his car. And Mike Lee was in the back seat laying down so that <laughs> they wouldn't imagine? see him. Yeah. And he was just blindsided. He didn't know what, like, he, he was like, oh, I have no idea what this movie is. And so then Mike Lee puts the actors together with, I think, a tape recorder and they improvise. And then from those improvisations, he writes the scenes. Mm. And so, yeah, so he writes the script from those improvisations and then pieces together the story of the movie and then they shoot it. That's how he does all his movies. And well, I think that's how he did his plays too. And so it's just really fascinating that the, the actors are being a person. They're not playing a role. Right. Essentially. Right. Um, and so one, yeah, just that detail about where Eddie Marsan thought he was going to be in like a taxi driver movie. And then he ends up being in happy go lucky <laughs> is really interesting, but it is. that, that character only works because that, actor was so committed to the part let me explain to you something poppy yeah this car is my livelihood this car is how i earn my living i mean i don't Got know that. how you earn your living right yeah. but if i walked into your pub or your discotheque or your club and i walked up to the dj and i scratched all these records or i smashed all the glasses and i said i'm sorry i didn't know what i was doing that wouldn't be un- that wouldn't be acceptable would it well there's only one problem with that i don't own a bar or a disco <laughs> i'm just a primary school teacher <gasps> are you Fred's so kiddo. <laughs> Are you Satanist, Scott? No. In fact, I'm exactly the opposite. Are you the Pope, then? <laughs> That's the same thing. Is it? Does he know that? <laughs> right, you have three pedals. A, B, C. Yeah. Accelerator, A, brake, C. and clutch. Well, and if you think about it, if, you're, if, if you have that much time to dedicate to that character without no, having a script, exactly, yeah. you can be the center of the movie even if you're not the center of the movie. Right. Like when you're an actor, like you yeah. can be like, you have to, you, you have to none think, of us you have think to, we're, we're supporting players. Right. You, you have to think of yourself as the main actor in yeah. this story. And I yeah. think that's a really fascinating approach to mm-hmm. basically get the best out of every character. Even your supporting characters mm-hmm. is to make them feel like they're the main character. Right. You know? Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting to call this underappreciated. Sally Hawkins won the golden globe for best actress in a mm-hmm. comedy or musical. Um, and the movie was nominated for best comedy or musical. It was only nominated for screenplay at the Oscars. Sally Hawkins didn't get a nomination wow. for this at all. That's isn't yeah. that crazy? That is crazy because it is a it is a pretty phenomenal performance. Yeah, it, it is, <laughs> and it's funny, right? And I did not think of her necessarily because I've only seen her in drama, right? And I'm just like, man, this is this has got great timing to it. So rapid fire, rapid fire, and you know, it's interesting that you say that they do a lot of improv because I kept thinking as I was watching this, it's like she's the embodiment of that improv idea. Like the Poppy character of the yes is and. the is the yeah. embodiment of the yes and because anytime someone makes a joke, she keeps it going. Mm-hmm. I think what is really endearing and not annoying to me about that kind of character is that she is positive, mm-hmm. but her method for staying positive is usually a deflective kind of humor. Mm-hmm that keeps things light, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not just this naivete. Exactly. You know, that's, that's really some, what that, I wanted that, to talk that about. That would be very annoying in a movie that did the same thing, but She's didn't have that. It, it, the fact that she is able to just sort of like, Oh, I know what's going on here. I know what you're really saying. Or like, I know, but know, I'm not going to let, but you I'm not going to let, there. I'm not going to let you bring me there. And I'm going to deflect it with this like really smart crackling kind of, uh, comeback or, you know, right. 
and um, you can play along. You can play along, can, and, or you can keep yourself in the rut that you're in. And I'd love to. I'd be interested to hear what your your what what scenes you think of when you think of that the intelligence of Poppy. Um, but one one that really stands out, and again, on the first time watching, is very different than watching it uh, uh, on repeat. But the scene with the I guess homeless man or yeah. Well, and he's not just homeless, he's mentally ill. He is, yeah. yeah. It seemed like she set out to go to an area like that, right? Like she wasn't going yeah. from one place to another right. and walked through a bad neighborhood, right? It's hard to it's say. It's hard to say, but, yeah. But, and that, that's part of the plotlessness of the movie. That, Like, yeah. okay, so now Poppy's walking here. Right. So she hears someone kind of speaking loudly, and she goes to see him, and he's somebody who's clearly, he's hurting, but he also has some sort of, mental illness and there are moments where it could be dangerous. And I think so much of me when I first watched it was like, okay, now can you leave? Now will you go? Like, now do you see that this was a stupid idea? You're being dumb. You're naive. Your positivity, like not everybody is good. Like, just get out of here. He's going, he starts, he starts punching the air and like gets close to her, but you see her, understand him she knows this yeah and she is not dumb there her empathy is so strong and she is basing her positivity on empathy not on ignorance right and she does get scared and she even sort of speaks loudly to him at one point but she doesn't do it in a way that shames him right exactly that's just it yeah i can't imagine anyone would ever feel ashamed in an interaction with poppy right and the other thing i thought was really uh, a smart choice an interesting choice for this character is um first of all that she is a teacher right but that she's also like a really good teacher and she's not good just because she's positive and she didn't even really want to be a teacher she right, just sort of right. fell into she it she fell into it but also that like she's a teacher that of course her personality lends itself well to teaching little kids yeah but she's also good in a deeper way where like she sees the kid who's beating some someone else up and she knows something's a, wrong that something's going on like the kid isn't the problem. There's something going on that's causing the kid to react this way. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, she uh, does the work to like dig with this school counselor and kind of figure out what's going on exactly. with this kid. But one lens to look through this that Mike Lee actually provides in one of the making of things, I don't know if you mm-hmm. saw it or not, that I thought was interesting is this idea of teachers and how Poppy is actually just a very good teacher. The flamenco teacher is someone who's a very good teacher but doesn't know how to not let her personal life right. into things, which is hilarious. Yeah. That whole scene is great. <laughs> yeah. And Scott is a very bad teacher. And then Scott is a very bad teacher who thinks he's very good. Right. And that Poppy is this, you know, someone who's actually just very good at her job. Because she effective. sees people. Because she sees like, people. That's, when, that's the point. Yeah. When, when Scott is screaming at her or like ranting in one scene, she said, did you like school? Like she can see, like she doesn't judge people. She asks questions. But then on top of that, ways that she could have been a a one-dimensional character is that her positivity is out of some sort of ignorance or uh, sheltered or bubbled, you know, sort of existence. But it's not at all. She doesn't ignore the bad things in life. No, and it's also not, yeah, her positivity isn't a, a method for avoidance. Not at all. But at the same time, she's not weak either. This is not a coping mechanism for somebody who can't deal with things. Because you see with Scott where she just, 
she, she'd been deflecting about the boots, deflecting about the boots, you know, like it's not that big of a deal. And then he doesn't give it up. And then she does flat out tell him, I'm not going to stop wearing the boots. Right. Yeah. Right. Like that's not something a weak person would do. Right. Not somebody who's using positivity as an avoidance. She was doing that as an out for him. This isn't a big deal. I'm letting you give this up. I'm giving you a chance to let <laughs> this true. go yeah. without me holding it against you. <laughs> and now you won't stop. I am going to put my foot down and say, I'm not going to stop wearing the boots. And I don't even need to really give you a reason. Right. And then the same thing when he proves himself to be extremely dangerous to her, even though he sort of comes to a realization that he went too far, yeah. she sticks to her boundaries. You're in no fit state to take this lesson. Poppy, I'm the driving instructor, you are the pupil. You need to calm down. I am calm. You can't drive like this. How dare you comment on my driving? I think I can comment on your driving when you're putting yourself in danger, you're putting me in danger, and you're putting other people in danger. It's not me, it's them. That's bullshit, Scott. It's all bullshit, yeah, that's it. I don't want it. What, you want this lesson to stop? Yes, I do. I don't want you to teach me anymore, all right? I'm sorry. Okay, great, fantastic. You get in the passenger seat and I'll drive you home. No, I don't think so. You're not driving, I'm driving. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Poppy, if this isn't a lesson and you can't drive... You're not driving anyway, sunshine. You got. I kept thinking, like, most movies would... Redeem Scott somehow. Would redeem, and, and she'd, get, she'd get back in the car. Right. Because they would see it as, like, a moment of grace that she would extend to him. And also that that boundary needed to be drawn because he was obviously reading her in ways that were... You know, at least that's how I read it. Was that he was romantically interested in her at one point because yeah, he saw somewhat obsessed he because he saw. Her. I think he interpreted her positivity as flirting. Yes, which I seriously yes. think is something that was very smart about the movie as well. Yep. Is that's how he interpreted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not fair to her, not at all. But that is a very or like, any woman but who's it nice felt, to a man. But it felt like a realistic thing. Very to realistic. And, and a, another smart thing is. We, she's not just an unromantic perpetual tease. She does flirt with, uh, I can't remember his name, but the, the social counselor. worker. Yeah. And that is like, oh, that's her flirting. Right. And that's actually really awesome. Like, <laughs> it's really great to see Poppy flirting because like, it doesn't show her interactions with other people as less genuine, but it shows that she opens up and interacts in a different way. And and here's where I would, I would kind of... Uh, how do I want to put it? Is this character almost too fantastical mm. in a sense of like, if you had a character like this in real life, I can't speak really to this as a man, but I do think you probably have women who um, they are just by just genuinely positive and upbeat. And that over time gets interpreted as mm. uh, flirtation for so long that it kind of grinds on them. Yeah, oh, and, I, sure. and I started to wonder, would a person like her at that age be a little bit more guarded mm-hmm. and be a little bit more aware of, um, not that it's, again, it's not fair, but like just be more aware of how that personality can be interpreted mm-hmm. uh, when you're alone with a guy <laughs> who's a driving instructor and mm-hmm. who obviously has some uh, loneliness issues and maybe not a lot of experience with women. Well, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to say like, I'm, it's not a knock against the movie. It's not. It's not even saying the movie's not realistic. It's more just like the character itself was kind of to me a reminder of like this is a movie. Mm-hmm. It's a sad thing that I don't know how much a character like Poppy really could exist in the world. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Like, do you know where I'm getting at with this at all? Yeah, or, you know. Yeah, and I'm not even gonna say character. I'm gonna say a woman. I yeah. I also you could say that, or maybe but she you, just doesn't care. But you could just, also not my say that the movie, I, you know, whatever. I, I think you could also. Not that the movie, you know, is doing this. I don't like the way I'm about to phrase this, but you could also say that the movie is sort of like saying to men, like, 
Stop, like, yeah, stop it could doing be. that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, let a woman be happy without right. you being the center of it. <laughs> right. Um, that did cross my mind. And you, as, and, as I was and if you're paying this. attention, yeah. you will be able to tell when she is doing it for you. Yeah. Versus just because she's living her life. Well, and you know, it's what one scene that I thought was an interesting juxtaposition of how this works is, um, a scene that in so many movies could have gone very sour, which was the scene with the chiropractor. Right. I mean, she's there with her shirt off, mm-hmm. acting like Poppy. Mm-hmm. And the doctor knows. He's, yeah. He's just like, okay. He's you just know, adjusting. Just, he's just yeah. doing his job. It was just a really kind of simple, nice scene mm-hmm. <laughs> of a positive woman getting her back adjusted. By you know, a positive by, chiro- by, by a, a nice chiropractor. By a nice chiropractor who's just doing his job. Ow. Okay, I'm just going to ask you to roll yourself onto your side facing me. You don't ask for much, do you, eh? <laughs> I'm just going to feel the muscles in your spine again. Oh. Oh! Oh, what you call it? Ding, dang, dilly, dilly, da, da, hoo, hoo. Okay. All right, lie back. Oh, there we go. There's a joint in your spine that's jammed up. Oh, no. Would you like me to release it for you? Is it serious? Oh, it's not too bad. What are you going to do? Will it hurt? It may for a few days. Go on and go for your life. Are you sure? Oh, if you're quick. <laughs> okay. I'm going to roll you over. In a way that could be juxtaposed against the way that the driving instructor misinterprets that yeah. type of behavior. Right. This is his responsibility. Yeah, to the chiropractor was doing his job. Why, why Scott should have been doing his job. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I think those interactions with other men show that... But you don't have to be that way. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and this is what I kind of realized watching this time and then was very interested to see a connection to Spencer is that Scott, and I'll speak personally for myself, and then I think also a lot of people would think anybody as positive as Poppy is delusional, that she is crazy. This movie, as it builds to that final, and that's a brilliantly built scene, yeah. where it all blows up. This is when, yeah. When he, when, he, when he gets physical, he assaults yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pulls her hair, he's driving erratically, he's screaming extremely racist stuff. And the reason he's mad is because she has a boyfriend. right. It shows that it's the cynic who's delusional. Yeah. Poppy's happiness is with eyes wide open. And the sadness she feels at the end, she's afraid of him, but she cries after that scene. Her sadness is for his brokenness, Mm -hmm. not because now she was wrong about the world. Right. She is sad because he's broken and he is the one who is so blind to the beauty in the world. Mm-hmm. And so just like Diana is the one who's sane and her circumstances are crazy, Poppy is the one who's seeing the beauty in the world, experiencing it, and the people who can't are the ones who are crazy. Yeah. The yeah. ones who are building a false reality right. where the world's against them. Well, and you see that uh, almost uh, a lot more explicitly in this, the, the, which is hilarious, by the way, the scene with her sister who's pregnant. Yes. <laughs> And the, and the husband who just wants to, just play, wants PlayStation. to play PlayStation with, <laughs> her, <laughs> with his sister-in-law. Yeah. But that's, that's, oh, that that's, that. that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, like the sister character who's pregnant is trying to tell her, like, you're not living your life right. Like right. you should grow exactly. up yeah. basically. 
And she just keeps saying, like, I'm happy. Could be better, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's stuff I don't have, and, but I'm and, really happy with what I and, do have. And, uh, you know, I mean, she's pregnant, and there's hormones and all that, but she doesn't seem very happy. Right. The, the sister character. Right. Uh, and the husband also doesn't seem, seem terribly happy at, uh, as well. The movie doesn't hit that too hard. I mean, no. you kind of figure they'll because be happy. Because it's really they'll be fair fine, to you know? all its characters. It is very fair. You know, it's, it's just sort of a... Uh, You'd be totally fine with that entire scenario between the the sister and the husband if the sister didn't go so far as to try to prescribe that life on everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know that's who, that's exactly. that's what gets grating and to to both uh, Poppy and to the the younger sister who yeah. also kind of sees right and through. her husband yeah and her husband. But I feel like a really important character in the movie is Zoe, her roommate. Yeah, who is not as bubbly as Poppy, but is happy like poppy and does have empathy for people like poppy like i'd kind of be interested to see a zoe movie sure because that is more like the the rest of us almost like the realistic way (laughs) like 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 what the rest of us could do right yeah right a realistic like attainable version yeah i think well and you think about it it is smart that the movie never really felt the need to have them conflict right and i mean maybe people think the ending is really cheesy where they're just on the paddle boat on a, on a, on a, yeah. You know, rowboat like talking, but I think it's such a beautiful cap on the movie after, after what happened with Scott and she told Zoe about it, you know, like she wasn't keeping yeah. it in. Zoe knew about it. They both knew how bad it was, but they were both going to move on. And when Zoe says, and I think this line's in the trailer, Zoe says, you can't make everyone happy. And that's really a really important thing for people to realize. Like, mm-hmm you are not responsible for other people's happiness, which might be sort of what Zoe is saying. But Poppy, in true Poppy fashion, isn't going to let that defeatist version of that statement live. Or even have She's, the last word. Right. She says, but there's no harm in trying, is there? Right. Yeah, that's a great line. And I think that that is important because it's what you were saying earlier. Like You wouldn't actually know if that driving instructor situation did ruin her. Unless you kind of had a scene after that that just said, she's still poppy. Yeah, you know? that didn't break her. And that she's not going to disregard that. Like, she's not going to act like it didn't happen. Right. She's going to process it and carry that on. Like, it's, like I said, it, it, it increased her empathy. And for me personally, I, I'm not like poppy. I would like to be more like poppy. And just that idea, there's no harm in trying, though, is there, is yeah. a really important and attainable idea. You don't have to make everybody happy, but you can try. <laughs> sure. So I don't know. Any other thought? Like, I don't know if you loved it as much as I did, but like, do you get why I love it? Like, absolutely. Do you- yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's a five star movie for me, but it's certainly one that I mean, I would highly recommend and that I had a great time watching. And it doesn't overstay its welcome, I feel like. Right. You know, it's just a great, kind of just smaller, simple, funny like i mean you said it all at the beginning it's it's all those things and um on top of that and this is i think true of uh you know both of our movies they are really anchored by the the whole movie hangs on these performances exactly. if the performances weren't there the movie completely falls apart how and, different are those two performances <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but but this movie hangs together because of Sally Hawkins, obviously. Of course. Um, so if you just want to watch a movie with a phenomenal performance, I mean, it's it's got all of that there. So, yeah. Well, I hope you watch more Mike Lee. I need to watch more Mike Lee. Maybe you don't know, watch Vera Drake after this one. That one's I know a, it's very different. A real downer. Um, 
But another year might be a really good follow-up, sure. I would say. Yeah. But anyways, I was happy that uh, to watch the one that you recommended. And I mean, it's always great to just add another movie that you like uh, right. to the list. And Well, thanks. I'm glad, I'm glad I watched Spencer again. Uh, your recommendation again. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you are. Yeah. But I guess that kind of wraps up uh, yeah, our first, our first uh, attempt at doing you know, a show about our underappreciated, underrated movies. Yeah. Um, Let's wrap this up with one last fun thing. We haven't done it in a long time, and that's our most irrelevant IMDb trivia. So yeah. we each have a movie, and uh, we can go through the IMDb trivia on that movie mm-hmm. and find the most irrelevant piece, uh, just so ever, all of our listeners have that little nugget of information yeah. uh, that they can kind of pull out of their back pockets at the you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the dinner conversation around the movie. Exactly, yeah. Really impress your friends. Impress your friends with your deep knowledge here. So yeah. uh, do you so, want to go first? Yeah, with, so uh, after you watch Happy Go Lucky and you're talking about it at the dinner table, you can say to your family and friends, did you know... I can't wait for this. That at the very end of the film, Poppy jokes that her bathroom has flooded. About a decade later, Sally Hawkins would appear in The Shape of Water in which her character deliberately floods the bathroom in order to share a moment of love with her aquatic lover. So I actually feel like I should, I need to rewatch Happy Go Lucky and The Shape of Water with that in mind. That's a double feature. Right there, and and I mean, and I don't mean that because of Sally Hawkins. I mean, she's the connecting point in that, but it's really. I the, think she's just in both of them. I don't even think it's a connection. It, it's, it's the flooded, this flooded, it's the bathroom. flooded bathrooms for sure. I just feel like it's going to really change the way I see Happy. Go I Lucky. mean, dr- seriously, drop that in the dinner conversation, and um, everyone's I mean, going to be like. Yeah, you better drop it early in dinner. Otherwise, you're going to be talking through dessert. <laughs> right. Uh, well, th- that's a that is uh, seriously some great irrelevant trivia <laughs> for Happy Go Lucky. All right, let's uh, sh- what do you have shout. For shall we do, do Spencer? Enrich uh, us. Um, this is actually, I think, if you're having that dinner conversation, it'd be a really good one if you do have those people who like to watch, uh, exactly. like the yeah. the sort of more mm. uh, traditional, uh, you know, period piece yeah. stuff about the family. Maybe build a bridge for them into into Spencer. Yeah. So um, you can say uh, and say it exactly like this. Ryan, I know which one you're going to say. Right, Ryan. Did you know, uh, Kristen Stewart mm-hmm. is revealed to is is revealed. Oh, Kristen Stewart is revealed to have watched The Crown 2016 uh-huh. to prepare for her portrayal of Princess Diana. Wow. She let that slip? It was revealed. Who revealed? Who leaked? I don't know who leaked it, but you oh know, this is dinner gosh. conversation and I'm just being honest here. Yeah. Uh, somebody leaked well, this information that Kristen Stewart- I don't want to speculate. Uh, it was revealed to have watched wow. The Crown. Wow. I mean, you gotta be you gotta be prepared you, for a little friendly controversy if you drop that one. Right, right. Well, a revelation of that sort yeah. is going to uh, have people. It's it's revealing. It, you, yeah, you'd better be careful. People might actually spit out their food. Uh, yeah, or choke if you're not careful <laughs> on the pearl uh, on the that they're eating. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, anyways, that's. I don't know uh, how she's gonna come back from that. Oh, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. No, I mean after a revelation, a revelation, a revelation like that, uh, man. Okay. You know what's crazy is I don't even think I could tell you who plays Princess Diana in The Crown. I don't. I don't know either, <laughs> but I think she's won awards. So obviously, my love of Spencer has not like trickled over into like yeah. wanting Doesn't to make dig you want to watch into the, the Crown royal family. Yeah. But uh, anyways, that's all right. All right. Well, that there you have it. Uh, let's that's let's clo- put, put the bow on the uh, most irrelevant IMDb trivia. Yeah. And uh, I guess with that said, we can now move on to uh, what we're going to be discussing in our next episode. Yeah. Well. For our next episode, we're going to be a little bit a little bit late to the 
late to the party. Party, uh, you know, in a, in a different way. Not in the way that we usually talk about it. But, uh, you know, Top Gun Maverick. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, we're, we're all up on this. Comes one. out Memorial yeah. Day weekend, <laughs> and uh, that's the end of this month. We won't have an episode out. That, well, this episode that you're listening to right now will probably be out before Memorial Day, right? But uh, we're going to be watching Top Gun, the original. Yeah, why not? Uh, we we feel like we have uh, the need, right? The for need for watching watching Top Gun. Top Gun. So it'll be you know it'll be a little bit late. But when is it inappropriate to watch Top Gun? Is is a question That's that it. I think everybody's asking. I think well, June it's a is a question I ask frequently. Yeah, you wake just, up in the morning. Hey, is now a good time to watch? Kind of your then it's your getting to know you question, <laughs> right? But summer, I mean, June. That's a perfect time I to mean, be watching a blockbuster if, like. Uh, if Top you're Gun. asking, if you're even asking, should I watch? Should Top I watch Gun Top Gun? And it's the summertime. You, you shouldn't even be asking the question. Get your head straight. Get your man. head straight. Yeah, your ego is writing checks. Your body can't cash. Yeah. When you're asking that question. Exactly. That's what I'm getting at. I, I, yeah, I understand. Listen, buddy, you've lost that love and feeling. <laughs> if you think it's not appropriate to watch Top Gun in the summer, now take off your shirt and play some volleyball. Yeah. And maybe we'll, maybe before we record, we'll have some shirtless volleyball in my yeah. backyard. Sure. A lot of aggression, masking, erotic tension. Yeah. We're going to need that for this episode. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to watch Top Gun. Maybe we'll see Top Gun Maverick uh, sometimes. I, I, I probably will. I'm going to try. It's getting, it's getting positive reviews. Yeah, I More think, so than yeah. I think a lot of people thought a movie, Top Gun sequel, I kind of lingering had, in uh, post-production for a really long time. Would get. Right. I, just, see, I think I was saying to you as we were watching the trailer, we saw The Northman together, and, right. and, you know, which, uh, again, was kind of nice to see a, a movie yeah. ever with you yeah. in the theater. but. I, I think I said to you, like, isn't the footage in this, like, at least four years old at this point? Like, in the trailer. Something like, like I mean, yeah. they, they filmed this thing so long and it just kept getting delayed because of COVID. Yeah. Poor. I bet there are people in that movie who were like, we're going to make it. This is like my big break. I'm, I'm this person. I'm, I'm like, Gun. I'm like fourth lead yeah. in Top Gun. <laughs> and then now they're, you know, wizened and pandemic worn and their headshot doesn't look like what they look like right. anymore. And Yeah. But that's their when you need. crashed and burned. They need, they need to watch their own movie yeah. that they were oh, in. Oh, and get that, and get get that, that back. Get that Maverick get that sense back. Yeah. You know? That highway to the danger that's zone. That's what, yeah, this yeah. is what, yeah. Yeah. Gonna get back out there. Right. Gonna, gonna play fast and loose with the rules. And I'm gonna ride a motorcycle down a runway and, and yeah. head, say yeah and shake race my fist a, at race it. A race a jet. Race a jet and... You're going to get pumped up. Do all that stuff. Yeah. I mean. This is my kind of movie. Yeah. I mean. I, you can tell. I'm going to have to take so many push-up breaks watching Top I'm just going to get. Yeah. Okay, Ryan. So we know so how empty. you're feeling going into this movie. <laughs> I told you. I've seen it. You seem to remember quite a bit for not having remembered seeing it at all. Well, I think a lot of it is just sort of. Cultural. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's in the, it's in the, it's in the air, basically. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that was a great pun, by the way, that you missed of being in the air. Oh, that was yeah, with the jets. That was good. I guess that pun really crashed in. <laughs> in another world, it might have taken my breath away. <laughs> Anyways, so Top Gun Maverick, listeners, check it out. Maybe if you if you're into it, but at least watch the original with us. Yeah, uh, for our episode in June, which will admittedly be a little late, but. It's again never a bad time. Don't yeah. don't even ask. It's gonna be a great summer episode, and mm-hmm. uh, 
we want to hear uh, everything you had to tell us about uh, Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick, about Happy Go Lucky, Spencer, any other underrated, Your underappreciated, underappreciated movies. movies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely lots of ways to get in contact with us. To listen to or comment on this or any of our past episodes, find us at canwestillbefriends.net or email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. You can find us on Facebook at Can We Still Be Friends Podcast or Instagram at Can We Still Be Friends Pod. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and perhaps be featured on the podcast, call us at 847-306-9532 or email us a voice memo. As always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating or a review at Apple Podcasts. Those ratings really help spread the word about our show. Can We Still Be Friends is written and produced by Ryan Ebling and Nate Goss and edited by Nate Goss. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>